you know, becoming the dean at the hand game is going to be a different role, of course, than what I've done before. And uh, I'm eager to bring in the things I've learned that have worked well from the work I have done and in substance scale it up to the to the to this new position. All the while realizing I continue to I need to continue to learn and grow in wisdom and seek seek advice from those uh, around me and people who've done this type, done this type of job before. Welcome back to the Venturing Out Podcast, where we believe in sharing inspiring stories, actionable insight, and resources with entrepreneurs. Today, we have a very special guest joining Charlie and I, and we're with Dr. Sandeep Mazumdar, the new Dean of the Hankamer School of Business. Dr. Mazumdar was born and raised in London, England, and received his Bachelor of Arts in Economics from Cambridge University before moving to the United States where he earned his Master's and PhD in Economics from John Hopkins University. Since then, his career has taken him to Wake Forest University where his research and teaching interests included macroeconomics, monetary economics, international monetary economics, and time series econometrics. And in 2017, he was named the chair of the economics department, and in 2019 was elected the chair of chairs, a position that allowed him to represent other departments at Wake Forest. He begins his tenure as dean of the Hankamer School of Business on July 1st, 2021. We are incredibly excited to have the opportunity to sit down with Dean Mozumdare to discuss his faith, his experience as an economist, and his plans for the Hankamer School of Business. Dean Mosendare, we are incredibly excited to have you join us today. Uh, very thankful for you, very thankful for you coming to Baylor, and we are excited for you to get here. For our listeners, it's important to give context as to who you are, for those who haven't met you, and for those who will meet you. Uh, maybe start by sharing a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what your experience is, and what you're looking forward to. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me uh, on this podcast. I'm just so excited to get to Waco and start up at Baylor. It's just a, a thrilling new chapter that my family and I are about to embark upon, and I uh, really can't wait. So this is a uh, good times for us. Uh, so to give some background on myself, um, I, I was originally born and raised in London, England. So London is my hometown. Uh, my my parents are from northeast India, so they moved from India to England uh, prior to when I was born. My both my parents are medical doctors, and that's what took them over there to England. And um, we, were, my brother and I, were raised there in London and had a great uh, great childhood and enjoyed it very much. I always planned on living in London. It was never my plan to ever leave London. It's a great city and a metropolis, and I uh, uh, really enjoyed living there. But you know, God had other plans for me, and I found myself traveling all over the world now and. Uh, now to Texas, and uh, I'm just so thankful for those moves I've been, I've been able to make and uh, having those opportunities over time. Uh, I'm an economist, so uh, I'm coming into this business school role as a, a tra- trained economist. Uh, I do macroeconomics for my research, and uh, something I've done you know, a fair bit of scholarship and teaching on over the years. And uh, yeah, I, I did my undergraduate training in England as well, so I, did, I attended uh, the University of Cambridge for undergraduate and um, in economics and just a thrilling experience. It's a very different type of school. They have the collegiate system then, Oxford and Cambridge. So it's a very unique setup and uh, really just was honored to be able to go there. And, uh, 
first came to this country to go to grad school. So when I, I knew I wanted to do a PhD in economics and that's what brought me over here. I was blessed to be able to get a, a position at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, I, in some sense, I consider Baltimore my American hometown because that's where I first lived when I came here. Actually, my wife is from near that area as well. And uh, yeah, I did my, did my graduate work here, completing my PhD in economics. And I've been at Wake Forest for uh, my academic career so far, which is 12 years after the PhD was finished and now about to enter into this new step here at Baylor. So that's uh, a very quick summary of, you know, my ba background in terms of schooling and then the uh, in terms of working and what brought me here to Baylor. Very, very interesting. Um, so you've moved a lot out of your, your entire experience, your life, all of the moves. What has been the most pleasurable experience? Uh, what has been the, the coolest location that you've been and maybe a cool story from that location? Yeah, that's a good question. We, you know, my wife and I have really loved North Carolina. It's been it's been yeah. a great home for us for the last twelve years. So in in one summer, we actually got married. We bought house, bought a house, and we both got new jobs. We did that all in one one fell swoop one summer when we first came in. I usually wouldn't recommend so many changes at one yeah. go for <laughs> a young family like that, but it worked out really well for us. And you know, God was guiding us through the whole process, so it worked out really well. We've loved it here in North Carolina. Uh, in particular, we love the mountains. We're not too far away from the mountains, about an hour and a half, maybe a bit less to get there. Uh, you know, you get the you know, outdoor out outdoors uh, activities you can get get to do there. I like to fish when I can, and our yeah. kids love playing in the river. There's parks up there, hiking, and amazing views. So, you know, that, that, that's been special about living here in North Carolina, and I will miss that. But I know that we'll find other things that are new and different that we haven't been able to enjoy in Texas. So it's been a great chapter for us. We've loved it here, but we also uh, realize it's the end of this chapter. We look forward to what the new chapter is going to bring. Let's get into a little bit more about the uh, your plans as dean. So from what I understand, you have three main goals for the Hankamer School of Business. Um, can you tell our audience a little bit more about those goals and then why you chose them? Absolutely. I'm happy to. So I, I do have three things that you know, I'd like to focus on as I'm coming into this role um, as the new dean of Hankamer. Uh, you know, before I even get into those three things, there's one thing I like to stress is it requires a foundation of unity. So even before we do anything, it's, it's going to be my job to come in and um, seek to build relationships with everyone at Hankamer, make sure that we're on the same page. We need unity with regards to the mission and goals that we have, and also identity. I know that already exists at Baylor, but it's something that really is going to be important for us at Handcamer. So early on, I'm going to be uh, thinking about listening to people in the business school and learning from them and seeking ways to empower my faculty and staff and students and through that guide, this vision that I have. So uh, th there's work to be done in terms of building that foundation first before I even do anything. And that's and you know, I, I realize I'm replacing someone who's done this for a really long time and has done an amazing job, Dean Maness. And uh, so it's going to be important for me to do that work be to begin with before we even get started on, on anything. But in terms of the three things I would like to achieve, firstly, scholarship is crucial to me. So I would describe this as scholarship that inspires knowledge and discovery. That's one thing I want our faculty and staff to be thinking about at Handcamer. Secondly, experiential learning in the classroom, especially for a business school, it's going to be really important that we uh, continue to do that and seek ways to give our students hands-on learning experience. And then finally, 
you know, diversity is really important to me, but I would actually go further and label it Christ-centered diversity. That's the type of diversity I have in mind. And that can mean so diversity on its by itself can mean so many things in today's world. And that that's the specific type of diversity that I have in mind. Uh, so, just, right, so I could I could say a bit more about those three things. So in terms of scholarship, uh, I, I really genuinely believe that we as Christians have this unique uh, motivation to inspire discovery and knowledge. You know, we some of the big universities in the world are trying to answer questions like, uh, you know, why are we here? And what is our purpose in life? And what are we to do? Uh, and we know the answers to those questions as Christians. We, we have that freedom in that sense to be able to uh, not have to wrestle with those big picture questions. We know what the answers are. So now let's truly seek to discover the uh, knowledge that's there in God's creation. So I think that really gives us a very different motivation and ability to do that. At Handcamer, we already have great faculty doing amazing research. I, I can list off several things already going on at Handcamer that I've been really impressed by. So I'm coming into this thinking, thinking about how do we add fuel to the fire? How do we continue that uh, scholarship excellence? That spills over into the classroom. Those two things are not independent of each other. Scholarship goes hand in hand with teaching. It also helps further uh, Baylor's goal of becoming this R1, Tier 1 research university. So that's not lost on me. Uh, so, so I'm really excited to come in and think about some of these things. In terms of specifics, I think there's already some what I would consider low-hanging fruit that we really need to explore early on. I'm thinking about things like developing a master's program in data analytics or thinking about deepening doctoral programs that we have, looking at new doctoral programs. I would love for us to think seriously about business and sustainability together. There are actually surprisingly very few business schools in the whole country that do a well, I would say a good job of this. And I think we could be one of the pioneering business schools in the country if we tackle issues like that. So those are some of the things on the scholarship side of, of the equation I would love for us to be working on. In the classroom, uh, we already have amazing faculty at Handcamer delivering great classes to our students. Uh, I would like us to continue making it practical and hands-on as much as possible. So this means working with business, partnering with businesses, doing consulting projects with them, helping them with plans, getting advice for them, um, doing further internships with these businesses in the area, the state, and of course, nationally. I would love to see us have what I call living businesses at Handcamer, meaning student-run enterprises within the Handcamer School of Business. I know, we, I know some of this does happen to some degree already, but I, I want this to be a normal part of the fabric of what our students experience at Handcamer. So that's something that I'm really uh, interested in. Interdisciplinary work is going to be key. That's just the way business in the real world functions now. So we need to be putting that into practice at the, at the Handcamer Business School. And also lead, leadership opportunities. We, we, talk, we talk, about, talk at Baylor about giving producing students with, who are going to be leaders in the future. And I absolutely agree that that's important. But let's do that by giving you all the experience to do that here within our own house. So let's seek ways to further leadership opportunities at Handcamer. And then finally, on the, on the Christ-centered diversity, you know, we know that you know, our faith is inte integral, inte integral excuse me, to what we're doing. Um, we're adopted into God's family. We're all image bearers, ba bearers, excuse me, no matter what we look like, uh, where we come from or what our background is. So it's really important for us to think about how do we make the faculty, staff and students at Handcamer look as much like that as we can. People from every tribe and every nation, we know that's important. So. To do that, I think we need um, diverse faculty and staff hiring and retention. I'm really interested in pr pr 
and creating the right culture where our faculty and staff feel at home. Even if someone comes from a very different background from others uh, on the staff, how do we give them a place to call this their home and make them feel comfortable? And I'd say the same thing for the student side of things. We're gonna have students coming from different backgrounds. What is the environment like for them? Are we creating scholarship opportunities for those students who don't traditionally come to Baylor or to the Handcamers School of Business? And one thing we've done a lot at Wake Forest in my department, which I'm eager to bring to Handcamer, we've actually looked at the academic research. There's research out there that studies why exactly are students not selecting into these business majors or econ majors or marketing, whatever it is, accounting. And we've actually used that to target those students at the margin to invite them into the program. And we've seen great success with that at Wake Forest. So that's something I really want us to think more carefully about at the business school. So those those are some of the things that I really want us to be working on uh, when I get there early on, early on in, my, in this new chapter. Yeah, that all sounds great. And I know, you know, Dylan and I have been so privileged to come to Baylor for these last four years. Mm -hmm. And we're really excited to see you continue to develop and grow that uh, Christ-centered mission that's so central to, to this university that we all know and love. So we, you had started off by saying that naturally you're an economist. And we always think that's interesting um, because the study of economics is integral into what we do in entrepreneurship uh, and how we study our markets and how we analyze whether we have market opportunities or not. I want to ask, what drew you to study economics and, and maybe why? That's a good question. I w you know, I wish I had a great, um, great noble answer to this question, but it's actually not such a noble. It's, it's a fun answer, but it's not... Uh, I didn't have grandiose plans of being this economist when I was young. It was, it was through my brother, is the answer I've tried to say. My brother is uh, seven years older than me. He was doing economics for his undergraduate degree when I was still in secondary school in England. And I remember thinking, I have no idea what economics is. My brother's studying it as a degree. He went to the London School of Economics there, a really well-known school. And uh, I really was fascinated to know, to know more about it. So when I was 15 years old, uh, I was... Uh, about to take my GCSEs, as they're called in England. It's really the first major national exam that you take uh, when you're a student there in secondary school. And my school was actually offering economics as a class. So purely because my brother was doing it, and I, I wanted to know what, what that was, and I selected into it, and I loved it. I just fell in love with it straight away. And this, this is maybe hard to believe. It sounds a, a bit out there, but from, from the age of 15 onwards, from that moment, I knew I, I just want to do this for the rest of my career. I, I, in my mind, made that decision right there that I just go to, I'm just going to keep on doing economics forever. This is, I really like this. This is the career path for me. So I actually knew this really on because of that, that I wanted to do it. And I, I guess I actually stuck to that. I really have continued doing it ever since. Very interesting. Um, I remember taking macroeconomics. And one thing that I never understood was sunk costs. I get, I, I get it. I understand what they are, but if I buy a $50 ticket to a movie and my friends ask me to go camping, I think I'm still obliged to, to take that $50 ticket to the movie because I already paid for it. <laughs> That's right. And also, you also have to weigh out the, uh, the value of your friendship there, of course, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so that may not have been my favorite piece to study, but I do want to ask throughout your journey studying economics, what has been your favorite piece or what has been some of the most profound uh, learnings along the way? Yeah, just so many things I could name here. When I was, it was actually not too long after I mentioned I was being 15 and studying economics in school. Actually, it was, I was still in secondary school, equivalent to high school over here. Uh, I, 
I picked up this book by J.K. Galbraith, a very well-known uh, American economist. He wrote, he's written lots of books. He's now deceased, but he had written lo lots of books. And I read his History of Economics book and how the different schools of thought through the times have transformed the study of economics and how it was very tied to the countries and cultures within which economics was progressing. That really fascinated me a lot. So learning about um, periods throughout time and the wars and what how economics played into the type types of policies that were that existed. That really was um, really that really stirred me and inspired me to continue on this journey and learn more. So that was profound to me in my upbringing as an economist, I would say. Um, so I, I mentioned that I am a macroeconomist and you know, that means we look at big picture economic questions. And if I was to summarize macroeconomics in one, in one sentence, it's the study of output inflation and unemployment. That, those are the three, the three things. Of course, there's more nuance to it, but in, in a, at a very high level, that's what we study. And I've done most of my research on inflation. So trying to explain why has inflation behaved the way it has? And what, what do we think is going to happen in the future? What should central banks like the Federal Reserve be doing to try and control what inflation is? I've, I've done a lot of research in this area and still do to this day. So, you know, I've been really interested in that. So I've uh, just, the, just, just the study of inflation itself has gone through these really huge waves throughout time, through the 70s, 80s to where it is today. And models have really shifted quite dramatically. And one thing that's really exciting to me about this, this study is economics is still a relatively young discipline in the academy. So we're still learning about how the economy works. So a co-author and I, we wrote a paper that was really well cited uh, in the two, just after the 2008, 2009 financial crisis. And we were trying to explain why was there not lower inflation or, or even negative inflation following that really severe recession. And um, that was maybe one of the personal pieces of research that's been uh, deeply important to me doing that analysis and you know that really excites me and motivates me to keep on working on this we, we we know a lot about how the economy works but there's so much we still don't know and we still need to uncover that so that keeps me going and is very profound to me so as young business leaders last question on economics as young business leaders why is it important that we continue to study economics I think I'm biased, obviously, as an economist, but I think it's imperative that we all take economics. I genuinely believe every college student in not just America and the world needs to take Econ 101. It's just it's so important to your understanding as a citizen of the world. Uh, I would even say as the incoming dean, I, it's something that I am very keen to apply just the basic concepts we teach in economics to a leadership role or decision making. So a couple of things I'll name in, in particular, in economics, we study a lot about how incentives matter. Incentives really drive the behavior of what we do and the motivation with which we do it. And this is true essentially everywhere. And so that we need to make sure we're thinking about this even here at Baylor. Trade-offs occur everywhere. You, you've, you've all heard the, free, the famous saying of there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, that's completely true. There is no such thing as a free lunch. We need to value our time that we spend doing different things, that there, there is no such thing as something without cost. And we need to uh, really take that seriously. Are you, I, I'm still surprised even having done this for so long, how few people really realize that. A lot of people still do really genuinely think there are no trade-offs in any given set of decisions that are out there, but there, there is no such thing as 
a, a trade-off less situation. There's always a trade-off that has to be made, be made here in the real world. And then thinking on the margin, that, that's, that's the other thing I, that's, I've learned from economics. I would teach this in economics and I'm keen to continue to model in my Dean role that's coming up, thinking of the margin. So it's not about what is the, for an example of this, it's not about what is the total benefit to Handcamer of doing policy X, or the total cost, it's about conditional on where we are now. Now, what is the marginal benefit of taking on this policy X and the marginal cost of taking on the policy X? So those conditional decisions are around us everywhere. But again, it's something that we tend to ignore. We, we uh, as a society and as a country, we tend not to think in marginal terms, but in Econ 101, we get students to think about things in marginal terms and it, it completely changes some of the decisions we make. And that's really in, uh, important that everyone knows those things. That all makes sense. And one of the things I think in particular that you mentioned um, is trade-offs. So, you know, coming to Baylor for these last four years, I've seen how my time at this university has differed, you know, from my peers from high school, especially um, who have studied at, you know, state schools or, or other secular universities. Um, and there was a really great quote that you gave about uh, really keeping firm to Baylor's core mission while at the same time progressing forward and, you know, striving to achieve that goal of something like an R1 university um, while, you know, giving students great experiences. Um, so that quote you said was, business schools ultimately are promoting and studying wealth creation. We are doing it for the purpose of human flourishing. Hankmer's curriculum should equip students with proficient technical skills to help communities promote better business practices that prioritize Christian values rather than promoting self, which is what the average business school experience is about. Uh, can you unpack that quote a little bit for our audience, please? Yeah, I really genuinely believe this, that our Christian, our, our faith gives us a very different motivation and um, viewpoint from which we're doing our work. You know, there, there are universities and business schools out there doing really great things. So I, I, I would be remiss in saying that, you know, they're all doing, none of them are doing good things. They're all failing. That's not true. They, there's good things going on at lots of schools, even at non-Christian places. But the, the, I would argue that the motivation that they have is different from ours. You know, we're, we're motivated to do good works and pursue issues of social justice, for example, not because it's the right thing to do, or not just because it's the right thing to do, or not because we want to seem to be doing good. That's ultimately, I believe that that's there somewhere uh, when this happens out there in the real world, but we're doing it because we, we're loving our neighbor. We, we see the others out there as men, women, and children made in God's image, just like we are. They are no different in worth, value, dignity, and respect from us. So there's no reason why we should not be treating them as ourselves and seeking to empower them and, and help them. And th th so that that perspective gives us a very different mission, I would say, at Baylor and at, at Handcamer. As a business school, uh, like, you know, like the quote you read, I, I genuinely think it is our job to study and promote wealth creation, but not for the purpose of profits per se, although I think profits can be good, are good and are used in good ways, but it's what, what are we doing with those resources? What, and what are you know, the salaries that we'll make? What are we doing with those salaries and resources that would be given? So I, I do think um, those are good things that we've been given by God to use. But what are we actually using them for is the question that really I, I want us to be thinking about. Handcam, I know Handcam already is thinking about these questions, but we need to continue pressing into that. What, what exactly 
is the purpose of this? Um, so I think that that gives us a very unique uh, distinction from other business schools out there, particularly the way we're naming it and distinctly describing what it, what's driving that motivation. So that, that means, um, you know, seeking to partner with businesses in the community and really trying to use our skill sets to, to promote what they're doing. Um, seeking to continue to be engaged, having our students continue to be engaged with uh, local communities, with Baylor, with Waco, with other cities, even when they're succeeding in those careers later on. I, I've already had a glimpse of some of the Baylor alumni and the great things that they're doing, giving back to their communities and partnering with different institutions and organizations. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just really impressed by things like the um, collaborative on hunger and poverty, for example, that Baylor has and the work that they're doing. And, uh, you know, so I think that I think good work is already happening here at Baylor and in partnership with Handkamer. And I think it's really important that we just lean more into that and take that very seriously on an everyday basis. And I mean, in terms of research and also in the classroom, let's make sure that this is uh, permeating every layer of what we do at Handkamer. One of the things our professor, uh, Dr. Dixon, tells us is always feel free to reach out to a Baylor alumni because there is a very good chance that they're going to respond. And I think that community and that, uh, you know, our, our, our shared goal around um, moving, moving Christ's kingdom forward is something that makes us really unique here. Um, right. And I think it lives into our Genesis 1 mandate. We, we are told in Genesis 1 that this is, this is one of our goals here in, in the world. So I, I take that very seriously. And I think we in the business school can take that seriously as well. Um, so, you know, that, that's the motivation behind, I think, what, what I'd like to do. With that in mind, how do you think being a dean is going to be different from your past work as an economist? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, you know, I've been a department chair here at Wake Forest for several years. Um, I also occupy this very unique role called the chair of chairs here at Wake Forest. I've never heard this title in any other university in the world so far. Uh, it essentially meant I, uh, I was elected by all the department chairs across the whole university here to represent them with senior leaders and and I really enjoyed that role and I've got to learn a lot about how universities work and, uh, and act as a mediator between these two different groups. Uh, but, you know, becoming the Dean of the Handcame is going to be a different role, of course, than what I've done before. And uh, I'm eager to bring in the things I've learned that have worked well from the work I have done and in some sense scale it up to, the, to, the, to this new position. All the while realizing I continue to, I need to continue to learn and grow in wisdom and seek, seek advice from those uh, around me and people who've done this type, done this type of job before. Um, so some specifics. I, I'm not a micromanager. I, I, I'm a macroeconomist. I'm also very macro in the way I do leadership. I like to empower others. So if I have someone who has an expertise in a particular area on my team, it's my goal to actually trust them to do that work and empower them to do that work and uh, have that fit into the big overarching vision of what we're doing at Handcam. And that's, I certainly will continue. You know, I've done that in my work so far, and I will continue to do that as the Dean of Handcamer. Um, so seeking, seeking to empower others, uh, giving people a place for their voice to be heard, that's really important to me. I, I, I much prefer uh, leadership that's not top down, but comes from the, from the ground roots up. I, I think that's really important to me, especially as a faculty member myself for so many years and having gone through the ranks and gone through this process, I, I'm eager to get as much buy-in and consensus as possible from different groups 
uh, faculty and staff and students. So uh, it's going to be important for me to listen to people as soon as I get there and hear, hear about um, you know, what are some of the strengths of Hankame or the strengths of what they're doing with their scholarship or with their teaching. Uh, what what are students really what do students really like about the classes that they've taken or what are the and then also at the same time what are the areas that we need to grow in that we currently maybe do not have enough in these one or two uh, particular places so it's going to be important for me to listen to that get consensus and buy-in and uh, and just trust my team I, th this is not going to be uh the, the business school is not named after me nor nor will it ever be named after me and it shouldn't be it's it's my job my job to pilot the ship in some sense not to to own the ship and make it my own if that makes sense it's so I, I take that very seriously in my role let's uh, chart us on towards the common vision together but we need to do that together it's, it's not going to happen just by myself and that's something that I'll, I will try and take as seriously as I can coming into this role we're excited for you to see the Hankamer ship um, as we wrap up our conversation let's shift into entrepreneurship so the venturing out podcast is entirely focused on entrepreneurship and sharing stories and insight and resources with young entrepreneurs, student entrepreneurs, uh, anybody in our community. And we've got to ask from an economist perspective, why is entrepreneurship so important? Entrepreneurship is, is absolutely vital and critical. The innovation that comes from entrepreneurs, um, the improvements that they, that they enable us to have in business practices and business ventures, I think, is critical to the long-term growth and health of our economy. I actually just got through, uh, I was teaching intermediate macroeconomics here at Wake this semester, and I just got through going over uh, economic growth modeling. And there we talk about the importance of innovation and technological progress and how that drives long-term economic growth. And we build this into, the, into our studies of, of, of uh, long-term welfare and sustainability in economics. This is really important to us. So I, I think entrepreneurship is absolutely key. Uh, the other economist, the economist I really like to think about when thinking about entrepreneurship is Joseph Schumpeter. He's a very, he's one of one of the ultra famous uh, economic characters of uh, all time, and he coined destruction. This, creative yeah. destruction. That's right. You said, said exactly that. He 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 talked about this at depth in uh, the work that he did, and um, you know we we can show both in microeconomics and in macroeconomics how that's really critical to making sure that we have jobs out there for people who are working, making sure that we have businesses there that are providing goods and services that we need as a society, how, how we displace the old firms or get them to improve their practices if they're not performing along certain, certain ways. I, I think I truly believe in competition at all levels. I'm a very, I'm a very competitive guy myself and I, I think competition at all levels in every sphere is a good thing for us. So I, I Think entrepreneurship feeds into that. We need entrepreneurs to be bringing those new ideas and those new um, uh, innovations that they have to the marketplace. And uh, at Baylor, it's really critical that we continue to take the really strong entrepreneurship program that we have and just, you know, I want it to explode as much as possible. Let's let's have that explosion of what students and faculty are doing out there in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. And it was funny. I was having this conversation yesterday with a friend and she she was again she was a professional selling major and she goes Dylan well nothing happens until you know a salesperson sells something and I said well yeah that's true but also that's 
salesperson doesn't have anything to sell if the entrepreneur doesn't create it. Mm. So entrepreneurship is incredibly important in, in driving inter- innovation. And you had mentioned earlier, uh, one of your goals was to encourage student enterprises at Baylor. So student entrepreneurship is very strong. You know, Baylor's entrepreneurship program is very strong. Um, but continuing to build off of what Dean Manis has created and fostered, what will you do to support student entrepreneurship at Baylor? Yeah, I think Dean uh, Manis has done a wonderful job of being able to promote the entrepreneurship program. We have some really exciting things already that exist at Hankamer, things like the Baylor Angel Network. I think that's a really exciting feature. Uh, I know uh, I, I'm still learning more about what the program ex- entails exactly, but I've heard some exciting uh, details about the Lab to Market initiative that they that he has really been pushing, and I'm eager to learn more about what, how that what that actually looks like. So I think I think some of the ingredients are really there already. Uh, so it's really my desire to. I said incentives matter, so let's give our students the incentives to go out there and actually start creating businesses or having ideas and. Um, ha- having a freedom to be able to pursue those ideas. And I think one thing that's going to be important for us is to, to really make it clear that it's okay to fail or to maybe not hit, hit a home run the first time. And that's, go- that's going to happen. There's that, and that happens to all of us. One thing that I've really been keen to talk about as a professor, getting to speak with so, so many amazing young students throughout my career is there's no such thing as a perfect life or a life where you just hit success after success. That, that just doesn't exist. If someone tells you that, they're probably not being fully honest with themselves. Failure happens at all kinds of levels. So really what I'm interested in is teaching students how to deal with those failures and how do we learn and grow from them. That's part of innovation and creative destruction is that we will run into roadblocks. Uh, and I think it would be really healthy for us for students to be able to go through those and wrestle with those struggles and those difficult things while they still are hand cam and of course they'll still have to do this in the real world but you know you almost no one is good at something the first time without practice so practice 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 let's give students the practice of being entrepreneurs as soon as we can right now and i, I would say that our students have great ideas doesn't matter how young or old you are uh, if anything there are great ideas from the younger people so we need to try and uh, encourage those as much as possible and there's also no such thing as being ready or just waiting for the right time. There's, there's really no such thing as the right time to launch your idea. There's always going to be something that's not exactly right. So just go ahead and do it. Let's, let's give students the, the ability to go ahead and launch into those ventures now with faculty, staff guidance and supervision. Uh, and, you know, no one knows everything right from the outset. So let's, let's go on this journey together and learn from the entrepreneurship that we're doing. And uh, there'll be a benefit to everyone and, yeah, I love that you take the Nike approach of just do it, you know, um, and we, we've spoken to countless entrepreneurs on this podcast, and we always ask them, like, what is one piece of advice you'd have for a young entrepreneur or a student looking to start their own venture? And they all say, just start, just start somewhere. That's right. um, Eric Rees, he is an entrepreneur. He runs a couple of software as a service companies. And he wrote a book called The Lean Startup. And he's got a thing that we talk about. It's a theory that we talk about all the time. The build, measure, learn feedback loop. Mm -hmm. I mean, get a minimal viable product out there. And 
it doesn't have to be great, but it is one of the most intense learning experiences that you can have uh, because you are going to learn so much from that first product. And truthfully, you may, or service, and you may learn a lot from that failure. And, And we're excited to hear that you're willing to provide incentives for student entrepreneurs while there are many available now. Um, yeah, I think if we can just, if we can get students over the idea that failing is okay and that exactly. you're going to fall on your face every once in a while, or you may fall on your face often, but you'll, you'll get back up. Yeah. That's right. Even, even starting this podcast, I know Dylan and I, we sort of took a leap of faith yeah. when we first had the first conversation about the podcast I think I was driving uh, in the Colorado mountains and Dylan was <laughs> working at his startup over the summer. Yeah. He called me up and he said, you know, this is super frustrating. We need to help students out with this. And we just decided to, to really go for it. So, and I'm glad we did. It worked out. Yeah. So that's a great example. And yeah, you guys are doing a great job with this and you've learned so much. I know through, through the process of doing this and it will continue to grow and benefit others. So kudos to you. Yeah. And, and so speaking about, not just benefiting others, but supporting others along the way, how, from an outside perspective, like how can we and anybody support student and or young entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly at Baylor, like I mentioned, I think we want to encourage it as much as possible. I'm interested to see if we can even have it be done as a part of the curricula of certain classes. Of course, in the entrepreneurship program, this is something that, they already think about and wrestle with and do. Uh, but, you know, I think it applies to other areas too. Uh, it could also just be doing research on areas where there are entrepreneurial benefits. At the time we use in economics a lot, I, go, I always go back to my economics training, is uh, uh, externalities, of course, positive externalities or positive spillovers. We, that's a term we like to use where, you know, if there, if there is a student or a group of students doing some sort of entrepreneurship, even if they fail, it doesn't work straight away that knowledge that's created will have benefits to others beyond themselves. So I think we need to really embrace that and realize we will learn as a group and not just within Baylor, this will, this will, this will overflow from the laws of Baylor out into the community and to the state and country as well. There are real benefits to society of us doing this. So I think uh, being able to support student entrepreneurship as much as possible uh, at hand came is critical, but I, I like the point you raised about, you know, we could even go younger. This is something I don't, I don't have a well-developed plan yet for this, but I, I am interested in thinking about how do we partner with area schools and thinking about entrepreneurship. And, you know, we're a business school, so we need to be doing that. We need to be thinking about the young entrepreneurs who are up and coming in, in society and in Waco and uh, the surrounding areas and um, finding ways to plug into that, plug into that and maybe even have our faculty and stuff go out there and present the work that they're doing and, seeing if we can get some buy-in buy into that. We've actually done that to, to some degree here at, at Wake. So, for example, I have a student from a local high school who's uh, really been interested in uh, thinking about how do we improve the transportation, public transportation system here in Winston-Salem and using what we know about markets and economics to do that. And we have some transportation uh, experts within my department here in the economics department. So we've been able to partner them up. They've worked with other universities here in town, not just Wake Forest University. And it's, it's still early on in that project, but I'm just excited that we're putting people from different groups together of very different ages to answer the important and relevant questions. And that, that really is what drives me behind scholarship, behind entrepreneurship, behind teaching. 
what, what are the important relevant questions that we have in society in society and let's answer them let's let's do what we can to answer those questions that that should really drive what we're doing in my opinion as a university and at handgamer that's what's so great again about baylor um and the entrepreneurship program so last thing before we really wrap things up uh how do you think that Baylor's Christian mission um, differentiates our entrepreneurship program? You know, I, I truly believe that um, we live in you know, God's kingdom with capital K. It's everywhere. It's not just, it's not, it's not uh, confined to a particular compartment. It's not just on Sundays when we go to church. Of course, it certainly is there, but it's, it's everywhere. It's also Monday through Saturday. God's, God's uh, play everywhere. Uh, we are called into different vocations and there is no such thing as a, in my opinion, again, there's other uh, very smart people who have a lot to say about this, but in my opinion, it, we, there's no sacred secular divide. Everything is part of God's creation, God's kingdom. And that applies to entrepreneurship and applies to business and the business school. So uh, what are we doing with our vocations and our callings to fulfill the mandate that we have? And, you know, many of us are called to be entrepreneurs in society. So I think that absolutely fulfills our Christian mission, being able to seek innovative ways in which we're developing products or services to help society. So for example, I know at Handcamer, there's been students who've done great work in thinking about healthcare. How do we innovate in the area of healthcare? Maybe it's pricing or transparency of pricing and get that better service and product availability to patients who really need the care and attention through the uh, medical issues that they have. I mean, that, that's to me. There's no clearer calling of our Christian mission to be able to do things like that. Maybe it's uh, thinking about how do we provide food to the you know millions of young people and and older people as well who need meals in our society and our community and in the state. How do we how do we use our business skills and entrepreneurship skills to make that happen? So I think it absolutely does drive our Christian mission. And at the end of the day, the thing I always come back to is. You know, where, where is our hope and identity? Our hope and identity, of course, is in, is in the risen Lord. And that, that drives what we do. And that gives us the freedom to innovate and just gives us the freedom to succeed. And it also gives us the freedom to not despair when we do fail and to run into roadblocks. And all of our young entrepreneurs need to have that mindset as they're going into the projects that they're doing, both at Baylor and beyond Baylor in the years ahead. Dean Mazumdar, thank you for joining us today. We're so glad that you could be a part of this podcast and share with our listeners some insight into your experience as an economist and your goals for the Hankamer School of Business. I know that everyone on the Venturing Out team, the Hankamer School of Business and Baylor community at large are so excited for you to join us. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us as well. If you haven't subscribed to the Venturing Out podcast, do so now so that you don't miss out on any of our episodes in the future. You can follow us on Instagram at Baylor Venturing Out. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.